In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We're still continuing Bible study in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 7. Just get a quick review, guys. Remember that we said Saul still seeking David and trying to kill him. Last time we saw that David, now he has a small army of 600 people. A small city in Israel was attacked by the Philistines. So instead of going to Saul to help them, they ran to David. David prayed, asked God. He went and he saved them. Once he saved them, now David was a very, con very concerned that Saul is going to come after him. So he prayed to God and told him, is Saul going to come after me? He told him, yes. He told him, are the people going to deliver me? He told him, yes. So then David ran away. Now remember last time what happened was David and his men were hiding in a cave. Inside a cave. And then Saul started bringing a full army of people to come after David to kill him. Now as they were going to chase David, obviously Saul did not realize that David is hiding in the cave. So he wanted, to, you know, to, 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 he wanted some privacy to get ready to cleanse himself up, whatever it is. So he entered the cave. When he entered the cave, he actually fell asleep. And if you guys remember last time I told you that while he was asleep, the men of David told him, look, this is your chance. This is your enemy coming alone into the cave without an, ar without an army, without weapons. You shall kill him. This is the promise that God has given you. What David did, he came at night, he took a sword, and he cut a piece of the rope of Saul. And you guys remember I told you cutting a piece of a rope of an authority figure was considered to be a sign of rebellion. So, to, in, in a, in a, in, and actually part of the cloth of an uh, authority figure could be considered a legal document, a legal authority of the person. So David cut the, the piece of cloth from him and he, and he, and, and then uh, Saul woke up and moved on with his day. Now we're going to continue from verse 8. David also arose afterwards, went out of the cave. So Saul came down from the cave. He's down at the, at the bottom of a hill. And, and called out to Saul saying, My lord the king. David calling Saul, telling him, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. I want to tell you guys something about this chapter in general. This chapter sheds light on how somebody, when they are close to God, they can control their anger. They can control their emotions. We don't control, there are some people who control their anger and emotions by character, by means of character. Their personality is calm. They come across as calm. But inside, internally, they are boiling. And they're very angry. Even if they come across calm, but inside, there are so many feelings inside. David's story is different. David actually internally is calm. Because when David internally is not calm, we can see it in his action. His personality, what's inside is usually what's outside. So 
We saw that because he spiritually, at this period, he was strong. He repented about what he did last chapter when he went to the land of the Philistines. Now he started going back and respecting the anointed of the Lord and treated him as a true king, not an enemy. And I'll tell you guys something. I think this is one of the challenges that we have in our life is the lens that we view people from. Like for example, if I view somebody as this person is annoying, is selfish, is mean, is rude, is cheap, likes attention, whatever it is, sometimes this becomes the only lens I look at him. If I am close to God, I will still even able to see Saul as a king. Now, David, he bowed down to the earth, and then David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? You know, when David is coming to talk to somebody who's a higher up, you know, all of us have to talk to higher up at some point, whether your manager, your, your you know, head servant, whatever it is. You always have to uh, uh, there's a technical term in, in corporate America. They call it managing up. How would you manage up? Okay? So when you talk to a higher up, you see David is taking the, the, the problem and he's not blaming it on Saul. He's telling him, why do you listen to people who say that I'm trying to seek your life? You see, David, by the way, at this point, he could have he could have just Thank God, thank God that Saul came to the cave and left and does not know that they are inside and let it go and let Saul leave. But David wanted to try to prove a point to Saul that I, not, I don't have heat inside of my heart. I don't want to kill you. David himself rejected the words of men against Saul. When his men told him, go kill Saul, he says, no, I can't do this. A spiritual person is a person who does not get impacted by what people around him say, but by the principles he follows or she follows. We are people of principles, not people of feelings and not people of just following what people say around of us. And then David said, Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord anointed. He said, Today I had a chance to kill you. And people were telling me to kill you, but I did not listen to the people. You know why? Because you, you mean so much to me. You mean so much to the kingdom of God. You are the king. David is telling him, I realized, I realized that I actually, when I looked at you, I had a lot of compassion on you. It's not like I, I had to help myself. No. 
when I saw, when he saw his enemy, he had compassion. You know, I'll tell you guys something. David is doing something completely reckless. What is he doing? He's risking his life and the life of men around him to do one thing, to show Saul that he loves him. He's not going to kill him. You know who did the same thing? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He came and put his life to death so that we may know that he loves us. That we may know eh, that he loves us. Moreover, look, David continues, Moreover, my father, obviously Saul was his father-in-law, so it seemed like when they were close, they, he would call him father. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for, is, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see, there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. David shows him the proof, the part of the skirt, and tell him here, I am not rebellious. Remember, I told you, I told you, if you cut a small piece of a skirt of the person, you're, it's a sign of rebellion. He's telling him, I'm not rebellious. I don't have anything against you. And nothing, by the way, is more effective quite often than face-to-face -face interaction with those whom we have conflict with. Because sometimes we talk a lot about the situation, about it with so many people, but not the person that I need to talk to about. And all what it does, it causes more problems. The Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. He's telling him, look, I left this judgment of this situation in the hands of God. But he's not saying this in a sense of anger. Or he's, telling, he's not saying this in a sense of like vengeance, or I want God to kill you. He's telling him, I left this in the hands of God. I will not touch you. He's telling him, I've already made a commitment that I'm not going to kill you. No matter what you do to me, I'm not going to kill you. So it's also, David is asking Saul to search his intention. Why are you running after me? Why are you so angry with me? And that question is for us. There are some people in our life that we might be too angry with them, too upset with them. God says, why are you running after me? As the Proverbs of ancient days says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. David quotes an ancient proverb that seemed, it was known, proverb is basically a saying that was known for David and Saul. He's telling him, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. He's telling him, deeds express character. So David is, by the way, David is not trying to insult Saul. He's talking about himself. He's telling him, I will not put my hand against you. David is telling him, if I was an evil, evil doer, you would have been dead by now. You would have been eh, dead by now. Look at verse 14, because it's like a very well-known verse and it's very beautiful. He's telling him, after whom the king of Israel come out. 
Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? You see, David is astonished. He's saying, I am nobody. Who are you as a king to go after me? I'm nothing. And by the way, that shows the, the real humility of his heart. Why? He's saying this in front of his own men. It's easy for you to be a humble person when you're alone. Try to be humble in front of your kids. Try to be humble in front of a lot of people that know you or you have authority over. He's telling him, who do you come after? Who has the king of Israel came out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? I don't deserve you to consume yourself with me. I don't deserve that you consume yourself with me. This is, by the way, the heart of a humble person. It's a powerful statement. That he sees himself useless. Not a dog that's living dead. Useless. A flea lohad. Telling him, I'm nobody. Don't just move your hand, I'm gone. You see, when he's trying to talk to him because his heart is full of humility, humility can break pride. Nothing breaks pride like humility. And then therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. He's telling him, I have no chance of justice unless it's from the Lord. Because you are the king. You are the king of Israel. I cannot go to you because you're my enemy now. You're the one who's pursuing me. So the only person I could go to is God. Remember a while ago I told you usually in Israel there are three offices. There's the office of a king, office of prophet, and office of a priest. And usually the priest does the, the, the altar sacrifice. In this case, all the priests were dead except one, Apithard, who was with David. The prophets, at this point, there's only Gad, but he has not been yet, maybe he is not well known, and doesn't have as much credibility, and he does not, he, has, he was not like Samuel, he used to be a judge, and then he gave up being a judge for Saul to be a king, and the king. So his only way to go to is God. And you know, sometimes in our life, this is what happens. The only person I can go to is God. I remember His Holiness Pope Shenouda, in a couple of situations when there were bombing in the churches in Egypt and the, and the judicial system in Egypt could not reach a conclusion, a fair conclusion, Pope Shenouda said and he said, I have lifted my case to the Lord. Sometimes all human abilities and connections and powers fails. And all what I can say, I have lifted my case to the Lord. 
So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Can you imagine Saul, who was taking a three, like an army to kill David, actually started weeping. Why? Because David, very humble, he risked his life to tell him, I love you. I mean, when David is on a little hill, it's so easy for Saul to surround the hill, kill him, and he's done. But David actually wept. David's word penetrated, like St. John Chrysostom said, Saul's mind and transformed his anger into affection. That's what the words of a humble person does. You guys know the very famous story for Bola Mikhail Ibrahim when there was an issue between uh, a man and his wife. And this man refused to bring his wife home. And many bishops and priests tried to fix the problem. What did he do? He entered into the house. He told him, uh, can you bring your wife home? He refused. So he, he prostrated in front of the guy at his feet. Abuna, an elderly man, was at the feet of the guy. And he told him, I won't leave your feet until you bring your wife back. The guy couldn't take it. Sometimes what breaks such a hardened heart, complete anger, complete hatred, is extreme humility and extreme sacrifice. There's one point I want to tell you here that Saul was impacted to the point that he wept. But yet, that did not change his heart. Later on, we will see. He continued to pursue David. And that's extremely important because in our life, some moments in my life, I get impacted. But it's temporary and the transformation never happens. Because once my spirit is moved, I need to take an action. I need to change. I need to make promises. I need to start living a certain lifestyle. Now, when people want to lose weight, there's no more diet for a period of time and then go back. It'd be like, it's a lifestyle. You want to lose weight, you want to keep weight, you have to have a certain lifestyle. And this is the same thing. You want to repent, it's a certain lifestyle. We're not going to be able to repent and live this way. So his desire, his ability to repent was paused because he did not follow up on his feelings and emotions and tears and he did not capitalize on the situation. And that's why one of the things that's important in our life that we should never delay our confession and repentance. Never delay it. If you feel in your heart that you need to confess and repent, go repent and confess. Because that's the moment that God is waiting for. That's the moment that God is waiting for. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. 
Saul is confessing his sins in front of people. And he's telling him, you loved your enemy. By the way, what David did is a, is a commandment in the New Testament. Not in the Old. He wanted to do things beyond expectations. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me. For the Lord, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. This is the same thing that Joseph's brother said when their father was dead. Same thing. He says, you did not kill me. Your loyalty and your love and your humility is a miracle. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Saul himself is wondering. If somebody finds his enemy, he's not going to let him go safely. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. This was also another proverb of the day. If, the, if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Actually, in the time of Jesus, people used to say, whoever tells you to love your enemy is evil. So when Jesus comes and says, love your enemy, it was completely a transformation of the culture. Here, Saul is telling him, what you have done is just not explainable. Not explainable. And now, look what Saul is doing something interesting. He says, now I know indeed that you shall surely be a king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Saul finally admits that David will be a king. You see, when Saul finally repented, just the moment he repented, he started seeing the truth. He started seeing the truth. Unfortunately, in our life sometimes, there are people, in the, uh, many people, unfortunately, that they just live a persona and nothing they say is true. Nothing they say is what they actually think. They just live a certain persona, a certain agenda. Whether political, whether a certain personality they like, they never say what they really think. They just say what they think they should say. So here, Saul realized that he is, when he came to his senses, he says he will be the king. The truth is important. Without the truth, I will be uncomfortable and lost. Better for me to accept the truth than resist it. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendant after me and you will not destroy my name from my father's house. You know, once Saul admitted that David would be a king, he started actually thinking logically. He told him, look, you're going to be the king, I know, but take care of my family after I die. And later on, actually, we see this in Second Samuel, that uh, David brought in Jonathan, Jonathan Tan. His name is Mofabriash, Mo, Mo and he kept him in his, in, his, in his house and allowed him to eat as his royal table. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went, to hate, went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Look, I want to tell you something about this verse, because this verse is extremely important. David and Saul 
seems like they're friends now. Saul cried. David told him, look, I love you. I'm not trying to kill you. It was a good, good scene. Okay? But what David did afterwards, he did not go back with Saul. Be careful. Because when I reconcile with somebody and I, I see them as a children of God, that, that does not mean I ignore their weaknesses. And it does not mean they act foolishly. David, humble person, beautiful heart. But he did not go back with Saul because he knows that Saul can change his mind anytime and kill him. He knows that Saul has a weakness. He still sees him as, a, as an anointed of the Lord. And he still bowed down when he saw him. And he still promised him he's not going to kill him. And he still told him, you're the king of Kol. All of the stuff is there. But he knows that he has a weakness and he can come after him and kill him. So it will be foolish of me when I reconcile with people, ignore all what I have learned. Saul did not go back. David did not go back with Saul. Keep that in mind as, as we think about the life of a wise, mature, spiritual person like David, especially in this instant. Now we'll start verse 25, uh, chapter 25. Chapter 25 is a very common story about uh, Abigail and her husband Nabal. It's a very famous story. It's actually, in this story, it is the art of apology. If you want to talk about how to apologize to people, this, this whole chapter is the best way to ever apologize to anybody and get somebody from, while they're very, very angry, to make them very, very calm and very, very happy to the point that they want to marry you. We'll see this. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at the home of Enrama, and David arose and went down to the wilderness of Baron. Obviously, this event is, an, is, a, is a drastic event in the life of David the prophet because his spiritual father died. His spiritual father died. Yes, God provided him with other prophets around like Gad and Nathan. But to him, Samuel meant a lot. For all Israel lamented Samuel because he was a good prophet. He was a good priest. He was a good judge. Now, there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in, the, in, the, in Carmel. Carmel, by the way, is a town in Judah. It's not the mountain Carmel in the north. It's a town in Judah. Remember, Gad the prophet told David, stay in Judah. And whenever David's in Judah, he's good. Whenever he goes after, out of Judah, Judah, he messed up. The word Carmel, by the way, means fertile land. It's a good land. Okay? So the, the, what they used to do is they had an event where they... They, they shear the sheep. Basically, they take the wool, out, the wool out of the sheep. That's kind of part of it. And it was more of a festival. It's like an event. They all come and it's a celebration. You see it in Second Samuel 13. It was something they used to do. Now the name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doing. He was of the house of Caleb. The word Nabal means foolish. The Bible called him foolish. And we don't know if Nabal was his actual name or more of like his nickname. You know, like when you call somebody, 
some people say it was his nickname. He was known for being foolish, you know, because it's also hard to imagine a mother will call her son foolish. So it's most likely that this was his nickname, what he's known for. And the Bible makes an extremely, a, a big contrast between him and his wife. But look here what the Bible says. It says, he was of the house of Caleb. Who's Caleb? You guys remember in the story of Joshua? He was one, uh, Caleb was a figure in the, in the Exodus account. The people who scouted the promised land. And Caleb was one of the, one of the spies who actually said, yes, we should go in. So Nabal actually was from a descendant of people who were, he had good examples in front of him. But he was foolish. His wife was much wiser than him. And everybody around knew that his wife is wiser than him. And people tried to avoid him as much as they can. When David heard, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing the, his sheep, so obviously he heard that they were doing this event. David sent ten young men, and, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherd were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there any missing from them all while they were in Carmel. So what is what's happening here? David has 600 men. So how do they eat? How do they drink? Okay? So basically, these are, these are outcasts of society. So what they do is, they kind of act like security guards. They go in and be like, look, we're going to protect you. You've got to get pay us something. Okay? And they don't usually go and contract beforehand. They just get engaged. You know, whatever they see in a job opportunity, they get engaged. So here, this people who's basically outlaws, outlawed, they stood by Nabal's men and protected them. Protected them from, he had a lot of goods. Everybody knew that he had a lot of goods. So at this time, people can expect some losses. People can come and steal. His own men can maybe steal. Also, it's expected you can have a fox or an animal or some can come and grab some of his goats or some of his sheep. But they told him, look, we came, we protected your stuff, and basically asking him, you know, where is our reward? Where is our money? Give us something for all the work we have done. 600 people have been protecting your festivity and there was no problem. Obviously, David has an army that can destroy Nabal and his family in no time. They're all warriors. But when David sent his men, they spoke to Nabal very politely. Peace be to you, peace be to your house. Peace. By the way, I'm not justifying the type of work that David was doing. Culturally, this is okay, but also this method of, of working and doing this stuff, it's not, it's not fitting with the children of God, that you go in and force yourself into a certain job, okay? But this is kind of, uh, I remember recently when I was in Egypt, for example, uh, I was in a car, and then we, we went to a restaurant, and then we, we parked, the, when we came to park the car, there was a guy there who tells you how to park and where to park. He stands there. He doesn't work with the restaurant. He doesn't do anything. He's on his own. He claimed this area as his territory. And he kind of tells you where to park. And when you leave, you have to pay him tips. If you don't pay him tips, it's a big problem there. So he's self-proclaimed to be a guy who does the traffic. And you really have to pay him something. Okay? 
Anyways. So, uh, it says, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let your young men find favor in your eyes for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. Obviously, they're coming to him. Look here, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't sound right what David is saying in his men. He's really trying to be too flattery. Oh, please give food to your son David. David never, I mean, with soul, yes, you can call him father because he was your father-in-law. But really, Nabal, there's no really that relationship. He's being too flattering, just trying to be nice so you can get more money out of him. More some, you know, like when you're trying to embarrass people of how good you have worked. That's kind of what he's trying to do. It's really kind of a deceitful way. Okay? So it's really not a, it's not really a good way that fits with a child of God. And he's telling him, you can even ask your men, we have done a great conduct, we were very good to you guys. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. David's men, they know exactly what to do, exactly shared the same message, they trusted David so much. Then Nabal answered David's servant and said, look what Nabal said, he's stupid, right, he's foolish. Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. He's basically telling them, hey, who do you guys think you are? Who's David? David, uh, he's an outcast. He's a criminal. Many people now are criminals and coming and trying to, to try to impose their authority over us. You see, when he's trying to reject them, he's not even doing it politely. And why is he foolish? Because David has 600 men who can come and destroy him. It's like when somebody, for example, turns down a job. He calls and he fights with the person who gives them an offer. Why? Just do it politely. Oh, because he was rude when I rejected the offer. Yes, he will be rude because, you know, they were depending on you to come. He turned down the offer, they will be rude. Yeah, just be nice. You never know what day, one day you're going to come. And also, this is not you, our behavior as a Christian people. Shall I then take my bread and water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? Obviously, this is insulting because David is from Judah. And people knew that David would be a king. So he's treating, he's answering them a response that's degrading and also not nice to his family members, his tribal family, bigger family, tribal family. So he's not wise on how he insults them and he rejects them. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back and they came and told all these words. And then David said to his men, every man guard on his sword. So every man guarded on his sword and David also guarded on his sword and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. David, once he heard what Nabal said, Nabal is foolish. But David's reaction is also extremely unwise. Why? Number one, it's a quick reaction. And keep that in mind. When you feel the urge that you have to do something now, hold on. Quick reactions, quick actions are not the best actions. You know what else are not good actions? When you're emotionally charged. 
a good practice one of the fathers taught us a while ago. He said, like, let's say you're angry at somebody. So one of the good ways to do is to get on your computer and write to them an email with all that you have to say. And then the next day, come back and review the email. Add to it, take part of it. Third day, do the same thing. Fourth day, do the same thing. And once you start seeing yourself trying to kind of improve your language and improve your attitude in the email, then you know that you're slowly getting over your anger, your emotion, and you're trying to become more logical. But David rushed. No prayer, not asking for advice. Now, there's another big problem. David's future is to become a king. How is he going to be a king if it's in history? His history, he killed his own people. In his resume, he killed his own people. Now, I want to tell you another thing, which, by the way, we all struggle from. Last chapter, David was such an angel when he dealt with Saul. Who am I? I'm a flea. I'm a dead dog. And he humbled himself. Now, when, when it came to Nabal, somebody he does not maybe respect or somebody he does not value as much, or maybe he was not in the right spiritual state like last chapter, now he's starting to treat him differently. Saul, the one who was trying to kill you, he did not touch him. This man told you, I'm not going to pay you. That's all what he said. I mean, he said it in a rude way, yes. But that's all what he said at the end of the day. Sometimes we're willing to swallow a camel from certain people. And some others, we won't let a small thing slide. As people, quite often, we do not follow principles. But we follow our own perception. There's a beautiful verse in the Bible kind of directed to what Nabal did. It says, a soft answer turns away your wrath. When you see somebody angry, don't try to feed into the fire. And by the way, the fire that you can add to, sometimes it could be like, a quote unquote, a spiritual answer that you think it will calm him down. Yeah, somebody, for example, lost a family member. A family member died. And you come and tell them, why are you sad? He's in heaven. They're sad. They, they just lost a family member. Sometime when we don't give time for people's emotion and question them, why are you sad? They, they are sad. They have to be sad at this moment. I mean, they don't have to, but it's a moment of sadness. So sometimes the response that we give could actually make people uncomfortable. Now one of the young men not, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. You see, the servants of Abigail and the servants of Nabal knew who to go to. And this is the problem when you have a leader or a parent or somebody in authority who is foolish. What does that mean, foolish? does not allow himself or herself to hear and understand what the people under them going through. A lot of times we turn into like preachy moods or we turn into our own thing and we don't allow people to, to express themselves. 
So here, we see here that they ran to the person in the house. They know that it was wise. But the men were very good to us and, were not, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we, we accompanied them when we were in, their, in the field. They were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the time we were with them keeping the sheep. So basically the servants of Abigail told her, look, David's men were actually very faithful. They were with us day and night. We did not lose anything. As I was telling you, it was known that people knew that there is a certain percentage that you should lose when you're watching sheep. And by the way, this is why the, the parable of a good shepherd is extremely important. Because if you have a hundred sheep, you're expected to lose some. Here, here they're telling him, we, we lost nothing. They were protect. They were faithful and protected. Now, therefore, now, now, therefore, know and consider what you what you will do. For harm is determined against our master, against all the household. For such as scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. He's, they're telling him like your husband is so difficult, nobody can speak to him. So you have to do something. Because otherwise we're all going to die. You know, can you imagine you are that person that nobody can speak to you? Here, the servants knew exactly what to do. Look about what Abigail did. And I want you to think about from verse 18 until the rest. It's a best example of how somebody takes an apology. First of all, Abigail, this is where some people think it's questionable. So I'm going to tell you my opinion. Abigail did not consult her husband for about what she's going to do. She tried to, cons to tell him after what she did. And obviously, this is not a typically good way to deal with things. Like, you, cannot go to, you should not go to your husband after the fact and tell him, oh, by the way, I did this. Or I, I, it's nice to be transparent from the beginning. But in, his, in her situation, it's a life and death. Maybe she did not have time to go talk to him to convince him. The men are coming quickly. She needed to act quickly. So what she did, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skin of wine, five sheep already dressed, five chasses of roasted grain, 100 cluster of raisin, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on a donkey. And she said to her servant, go on before me, see I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Here, Abigail knew that, that David is so angry. How is she going to deal with his anger? Number one, she brought him a gift. Like when somebody is angry with you and you're going to, when you're going to talk to them, if you bring them a gift, they will be like, you kind of cool things off a bit. They feel like, oh, that's thoughtful, that's nice, that's sweet. Sometime we come and we want to have the conversation right away. So she brought him the gifts. And it's almost the same things, he, more than probably what he was looking for. More than the problem he, he, he is, is, is looking for. So Abigail came and brought in all these, all these gifts before her. And obviously, as I was telling you, she did not tell her husband. And in this situation, we'll see later, she's going to tell him the next day. She's not going to tell him today, she's going to tell him the next day. So it was as she rode on a donkey that she went down under the cover of the hill and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. This is 
the moment of truth. She sent gifts before her, and now she starts seeing the men of David coming. Look what she did. She's coming on a donkey, okay? And the men of David are coming on a horse. There are, there are warriors. Now David has said, surely in vain, I have protected all that is his fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has, he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and so and more also the enemy, to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning. So David have already put in his mind that he's going to kill all the men in this house. And you see here, David is doing a, a big problem here. He is justifying his action. This man repaid me evil. I'm going to go and and go and kill every man in his house. There's one thing I want to tell you guys quickly on the side. Justice must be proportional. Justice must be proportional. Even in court, somebody got a speeding ticket, they don't put, they don't put them on their death sentence. Okay? Somebody did not pay the rent, they don't put them in jail. So here, David is not just even in the judgment he took against Nabal. If he would have came and said, you know what? This guy owes me that much. Send a few men and take some of his sheep. I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, but at least it would have been proportional. But he let his anger go so far that what he's going to do is so unproportional to the mistake of Nabal. And that shows you that this man is not acting in the right way. And now he's even justifying himself. He's saying, he treated me wrong. And, and be careful when you start feeling self-pity and talking to yourself. Oh, I've done so much. Oh, I've done this and this person doesn't appreciate. I'm going to go. This is all things just to fire you up more. It doesn't help. So here he's swearing, which is obviously something he should not be doing. And now when Abigail saw David, look what she did. She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. David used to do the same thing in front of Saul. Now Abigail is almost reminding him, remember when you walk in the right way, you're always humble. You're always a humble. And by the way, usually the donkey is smaller than a horse. So she's already was under. But she came and she bowed down. And look at the verse. She, she fell down on her face and bowed down to the ground. What does it mean she fell down on her face before David and bowed down to the ground? Like she almost kind of came next to him at his feet. And she bowed down to his feet. Extreme expression of humility. And I want you guys to, and when we look at these examples, I'd, I'm not interested in us taking these literally in a sense of when I want to be humble, I'm going to bow down to people's feet. But we want to see what are si similar things, similar acts of humility that I can do to relate to people when there is anger, when there is issues. Sometime an act of humility is that I admit my mistake an act of humility that I, I encourage and I appreciate the person in front of me. There are many acts of humility I could do to reflect this thing. 
So she fell at his feet. Look, she fell at his feet and said, Oh, me, my Lord, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservants speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservants. Abigail is telling him, look, she's coming at his feet, holding him, asking him to help her and to save her. And then she's telling him what? This is my fault. This is my responsibility. She's going to tell him why it's, it's why it's herself. But one of the things I like, I like about what Abigail did, when you, make it, when you try to give an apology, look the first thing she said. Would you allow your maidservant to speak in your ears? She first made sure that this person is willing and able to hear her out. Sometime when you enter the conversation, somebody who's angry, without preparing them, to them, look, please allow me to speak. And if you don't like what I'm saying, do whatever you want. Just give me a few seconds to speak. Can you allow me to just explain to you something? These sentences makes people stop and try to actively hear you. Please let not my Lord regard the scrudel Nabal, for as his name is, so, so is, is he. Nabal is the name and fully is with him, but I, your maidservants, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. So she's telling him, look, I know Nabal. Nabal is foolish. He does not act wise. He does not act in the right way. Okay? And the problem is, I did not know when your men came. If I would have known, I would have reacted differently. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. Everything Abigail did, I, yeah, and I think very reasonable, except this part. Because when I am going to offer an apology, I should never, as a spouse, husband or a wife, speak bad about the other spouse. So she went and she told him, Nabal is foolish. We all know he's foolish. That's not something we should do. She should have, have maybe in this situation, kind of put it in, a, in another way. Maybe Nabal, you know, he, 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 he's busy, sometimes he's overreacts, something in a nicer way, but she kind of, yeah, and he kind of spoke badly or poorly of her husband. And some people might say, well, she was being, she's facing death. She's a woman and few s servants, and there is an army coming at her. Obviously, this is, she's trying to save his life, so she's doing everything she can, which is understandable. But the spirit, but the spirit of what she's doing is, is also valid. That she's explaining to him that Nabal has weakness. And that's one of the things that we should start when I'm, I'm doing an apology. There's a weakness in me. And I'm trying to work on it. And that helps a lot for the person to say, okay, I see this is going somewhere. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to the bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for, for my Lord be as Nabal. So she's telling him, to be honest with you, I am, I am going to wish you something because Nabal is so unwise 
that I wish all your enemies, anybody that upsets you, be like Nabal. You don't know his weakness. It's just so terrible. That's kind of what she's saying. And that's what I think, I think we have to be careful about when we offer apology. You can say this about yourself, but not about your spouse, not about your husband. Okay? Now this, pr this, now this present which your maidservants has brought to my Lord, let it be given to young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespasses of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battle of the Lord, and evil is not found throughout our day, his days. Look, this, I'm, I'm going to conclude with this verse. Look what she's telling him. She's telling him, look. She sent him gifts. She bowed down at his feet. And then she told him, Nabal is weak. Allow me to speak. I'm going to explain to you. Nabal is weak. He has a weakness. And hopefully all your enemies will have this weakness. Because it's difficult weakness. And then she's telling him something else. But we also know who David is. David is a man that only fights the wars of God. That everybody knows your name. You know, when you go and remind somebody of their noble character, it helps them, it helps them to be able to uh, live this you know, retreat or rem remember this character, these dreams, these goals that they had for themselves, and it helps them to calm down and easily to forgive. I remember one time, one time a situation happened and somebody got angry. And the situation was a small situation. So I was talking to him, and I told him, I understand the situation, why you got upset, but why did you get angry? And then he told me something interesting. He told me, you don't understand. I am very angry because I got angry. I'm very angry because I, I got angry. When you reminded him of how calm he is and what he does, he was actually frustrated. Why did I get angry? So sometimes when I overreact, my anger increases. And then once I get angry, I feel myself now I'm, more, I'm not only frustrated because of what happened, but also frustrated because of my reaction. She's reminding him of who he is. You fight for God. You don't fight for yourself. We all know who is, I don't know, John or Gregory or Jason we don't, we, and Tony. We know who you are. You're a beautiful child of God. You're a beautiful servant. You're this, you're this. We remind people of their true identity. So that would help people what to forgive. Next week, we will continue the rest of the apology. And then we'll go on the final encounter between uh, Saul and another encounter between Saul and David. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.